Hello, wonderful people. Welcome to the Healing Snowflake. We are here to discuss and ponder over some things that we may have been avoiding. Let's connect and evolve together to learn, unlearn and relearn. Hi, Natalie. Hi. So this is a conversation that I've wanted to have for a very long time. I wish that I had it when I was pregnant with my first baby because I was like the most anxious pregnant person that you would ever know. But such is life. And I, I was just honestly so scared. And I feel like all the questions that I've received from people are questions that I definitely wanted for myself to be answered. So um, could you tell us a bit about yourself now and how long you've been a midwife for? Yeah, um, well, I went into midwifery quite later on in life. So mm. I'd already had my children and things. So I made the career change after my second baby. So I went to uni in 2016 and then qualified in 2019. So I've only been qualified since 2019. Mm. And because we're family... I remember when you said that you were thinking about going into midwifery. Is that a word? Midwifery? Midwifery, definitely. Midwifery. (laughs) And I just thought it was just, I wasn't surprised. It was a, yeah, I wasn't surprised at all because I kind of knew that you were like into babies and you're not squeamish, are you? No, no. You were, but not anymore, maybe. (laughs) So yeah, so it took three years for you to become one mm-hmm, it did yeah and how was that it was extremely tough and obviously having children as well made it even yeah. harder but the hours quite long so you still expect to do like 37 and a half hours a week mm. then placement and then on top of that you've got your uni and you've got your study and you've got your assignments and things so and all shift work it was hard, really mm. hard. one thing I've always wanted to ask you and I don't know why I didn't before but you know when you see little babies are you still are you quite used to it now or are you still like amazed at the creation of life I don't think you ever get just used to it really even though you see it every single day you see it every single day you but the thing is as a midwife when you study and things you get to learn how these babies are actually you know how they're made and how they're progressing the mother's womb Mm. and it just surprises me that with all the whole process that they go through how we have kids today (laughs) because it's so complex and I just think that when like mums have their babies and things Mm. is it is when people say it's a miracle it really is an absolute miracle yeah because I can only imagine I can only imagine it because I'm I'm still I still don't understand how I produce two children definitely I look at my little girl and I think oh my god did I actually make that so I reached out to some friends who are either pregnant with their first or thinking about having babies in the future and to be honest I thought that they would have all the questions but even people with children who are still maybe thinking about having more or just trying to understand what they went through. So I've got some questions for you. We'll go through them. And also, I just want to mention that I'm talking to you because, first of all, I'm just really interested in 
your profession anyway? Because I think that after becoming a mum, you realise that outside of your main support, family or friends or whatever, a midwife is really your point of support, like your main support from beginning to end of pregnancy. Because you have to see midwives how, how many times during a pregnancy? Usually, I'm just trying to think of the... Every three months? Is it every three months? Yeah, usually you see your midwife when you're first pregnant, so at your booking appointment. Yeah. And then you'll see them again at 16 weeks, 20, 24, 28, 31, 34, 36, 38, 39, 40. So you'll see them about... Gosh, it's so many times, isn't it? Yeah, and I remember just having... I, I mean, you see different mid- midwives almost at every appointment, but with my second pregnancy, because it was during COVID... They because you know you have to be in contact with as, as less people as possible. I saw one midwife throughout my whole thing, and she was in the delivery room as well. When yeah, so that was that was really nice. So the, the most common question I've noticed out of all of them, like there was, I saw a pattern, and it just mostly centered around pain. Okay. <laughs> I feel like it's almost a taboo subject because you know we know that women give birth all the time. So it's almost like, why do you have to obsess about pain? But it's really, you know, it's such a concern for, especially for first time mums, because it's like, you know, you don't know what to expect. I think when you have more than one, you kind of know what to expect with your second. I mean, it's still the painful, the, <laughs> the shock of it is still there, but you kind of know what to expect. So do you have a go-to answer for the questions like, what does a contraction feel like? I think with the contractions, everyone is individual in their own way. Okay. Yeah. Some people have quite high pain threshold. So is that a thing then? It's not sort of like, it's not a made up thing, like a pain threshold. I don't think it is because some people tend to like deal with them quite well. And I don't know whether it's just the way that the body reacts to it mm. or whether it is their pain threshold. I don't know the exact answer, but then some people can find it really difficult and really struggle with the pain. So it, I think it all depends on the person and like their body makeup, really. Mm. I think with contractions, you know, I'm not I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Yes, they're painful. Is it true, you know, that thing that you see all the time about something like it's... See, this is the one mistake I make because I went on the internet about pain when I was pregnant with my first and I saw something about it's like 18 bones breaking at the same time is that true well I've never had 18 bones break at the same time so I wouldn't be able to compare but it's quite intense because I think when you when you first go into labor you have like what we call like the latent phase where your body's just really preparing it your cervix is getting prepared and what tends to happen you tend to have quite a lot of like I can only describe it as like, you know, when you have a period cramp and it's quite low down in your tummy. Mm. So it feels like a pressure like there and it gets stronger and it kind of radiates towards your back. Yeah. So, I mean... The you just can't describe it, can you? you? Can't. I mean, the physiological, physiological aspect of it is that you, your contractions, they actually have like a band at the top of your uterus and that's where it starts and where mm. it's way down. But I don't know any pregnant woman that goes into labour that tells me that's where their pain starts. It always seems to start at the bottom. Yeah. And I think that's just because your uterus is squeezing quite tight. It's pushing baby's head down on that cervix, which is what you want in labour mm. because that's what helps to face and dilate the cervix. So I think that's where a lot of the pain comes from. Mm. And as you go progress, then obviously it gets more painful. 
Oh God, I'm, it's almost like I'm, I'm, re, I'm <laughs> reliving it. Yeah, I'm reliving it. And the thing is, I think as well, you know, like I remember when I panicked with, because I am a bit of a wimp, to be honest. So when it, it, it's like, it scares me when people just say words to me. I don't even have to be going through it, but it's just when people say stuff to me, like 18 bones breaking at the same time, or when... The midwife said to me, and she said it in such a nice and calm way that she was, because I, I had to go home with my first pregnancy first. And then she said, I want you to come back when the contractions feel like you can't speak anymore. I was like, what do you mean? I can't speak anymore. So that really, really scared me. But then it started happening. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, this is what she means. And I guess, because the thing is, I've never actually broken a bone in, like, in my entire life. I don't think I've ever, yeah, (laughs) I don't think I've ever actually gone through something that I would say was as painful as that. A lot of people say, like, toothache is probably the closest thing. Yeah, I think the thing is, though, is that, you know, a lot of midwives will say, don't come in till you can speak on the phone and things. But I've had ladies that they sounded calm as anything on the phone they've come into the hospital and been in the room about 15 minutes with me and dropped a baby out like Mm. and do do you think that's when the pain threshold thing comes in or do you think it was just different for her I think it's just different for some people I just think their body reacts differently in labor Mm. than other people's I mean the majority of people you know it is quite painful for isn't it Mm. but you're always going to get that one person where they do kind of just yeah. breeze through. And I'm very jealous of that person. Yeah, yeah. Because I never had that with my three. So. Yeah. I, I mean, I mean, everyone must have watched that show. What's that show? One Born Every Minute? Yeah. And the thing is, I wish I never watched that because it was, it, it turned out to be so unrealistic in the sense that, of course, what they're going through is like, you know, they're real scenarios, but not scenarios, you know, actually somebody given birth. But it's almost like you, you're implanting in your head what the experience is going to be. And everyone is so different. And there's lots of factors that you have to like put into the equation as well. Like yeah. risk factors for, are different for every woman as well. Yeah. Which can obviously affect like the outcome of the labour and stuff. So. Yeah. So what would you say to... I know that this is... Um, I'm not making this up because I have friends like this, but I have friends who are in this situation where they are literally putting off having a baby because of childbirth. Okay. Because they have, they are, yeah, the process of labor, because I think that they've scared themselves so much and they've heard so many horror stories about like ripping and things like that. I had, I was having a discussion um, with a friend who no, so it was three of us. So two of us have had children and one hasn't yet. And my friend was like, oh, I had a third degree rip. <laughs> so she was like, oh my days, what is that? And she described it to her and she she like told it in the most horrific way. And she was like, I am never, ever, ever having children. And the thing is, I feel like there's so many people who are in that situation where they get themselves so worked up about it and thinking, I I don't, I can't even go there. Like they're so anxious about it. I know I completely get that. But the thing is, I think when, once you're in the moment of labor, Hmm. you're literally just concentrating 
on that itself. So you're not really thinking and then moments when you're having your contractions, all this is going to happen, all that's going to happen. Yeah. And then when it happens, you know, you're going to feel the contraction more than anything. You're not going to probably feel that bit. The contractions are probably more painful than the tear itself. Yeah. So, and I just think that at the end of it, you have like this amazing little you have a baby arms yeah. and, you know, you're going to love and cherish and bond yeah. with so I think a lot of times when people you know have these like um, births that they're not really expecting and stuff yeah. you always see them later on a couple of years later having another baby again because I think that moment kind of gets a little bit lost in time you never forget it yeah because I bet you don't forget yours and no, I don't forget mine. No. But then you think of what's come out from that and it's just yeah, overtakes your feelings. You're definitely right. You're definitely right. Especially with my first one. I saw his face for the first time. It's kind of like the pain just... Yeah. It's like, oh, I just went through that pain for him to be here. But I mean, it's easier said than done. And, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, you, you answered that so beautifully really but I think as well it's just some like life is full of surprises all the time and you're never gonna go you can't let that stop you from having one of the biggest stages like moving on to the biggest stage of your life or I mean or you could just break 18 bones and practice (laughs) practice (laughs) first but yeah I mean like when you have your baby as well like straight after you have a massive influx of adrenaline yeah. And that adrenaline um obviously gets you quite excited. Up, yeah. And then you have like a release of oxytocin, which is what they call the love hormone. Yeah. So you have all these things. So these overtake everything that's just happened in that labour. Yeah. And that's and that's what you can remember then afterwards. That's your main memory. Mm. As opposed to that bit, you just remember then that feeling yeah. of, you know, when you do hold your baby and that love that you feel mm. and stuff. And like, oh my God, yeah. I just done. Yeah, yeah, it's so true. And the thing is I had a I had a water birth with my first child and because I was so anxious I looking back it was actually such a beautiful moment and my partner even got in the water and helped me you know he pulled him out basically and I wish that I was more relaxed and just was in the moment but you know yeah it's difficult (laughs) okay next question what occurs during childbirth or after and after that you think women least expect? Um, so I think depends on how they're feeding baby. So if people are like wanting to breastfeed, mm. I think people are quite surprised at how often baby feeds after the birth. And that's the number one thing that popped into my head and that is the breastfeeding. Yeah, and like with breastfeeding, like babies will cluster feed. Mm. So it is normal for that baby to be on and off the breast continuously because they're just trying to work up your milk supply basically and it's like um, a supply and demand yeah so the more they demand the more you're going to supply mm. so I definitely say that that's one of the things that people don't expect and it's also how you want to give up so easily yeah 
I think because it is hard, you've just gone through all of that like, mm. labour and it's really took it out of you. You're tired, you just want to rest and mm. then obviously your baby wants to feed all the time mm. and you want to sleep. You've just, it's just, you know, you just need to like grab onto whatever support you've got there. Mm. So if you've got your partner there, use them. If there's other midwives or yeah, healthcare yeah, professionals, yeah. use whatever support you can get. Mm. And don't beat yourself up. Absolutely not, no. And you have to do what, what works best for you as well, don't you? Mm. So, you know, if you're really struggling and you've had the support and things and yeah. you know you've had like the breastfeeding specialist to help you and you mm. still feel it's not really going to plan or it's not working yeah then do what you've got to do yeah oh it's it was I just remember to be fair that I remember the pain of breastfeeding more so the con- than the contractions to be honest because when you're when you're having contractions like it's almost like you don't have time to think mm. but you're kind of because breastfeeding you have to do it so regularly that it's just so painful at the beginning. But once you get into the flow of things, I think it does get a lot easier. But like I said, every woman is different. You might not even be planning to breastfeed and, you know, that's fine. But it's just that I wish that I really sort of psyched myself up to to know like it's, it's the nipples isn't it the pain in the nipples <laughs> nipple cream nipple cream I think as well is sometimes like if they're if it's really hurting the nipples so sometimes they can blister yeah and sometimes when baby comes off they can be like a lipstick shade if any of that happens then baby's not really latched on well to the breast mm. and what happens is is with baby's mouth they've got like a hard palate at the front and then the soft palate at the back so what you want to do when you're breastfeeding is make sure that, that whole nipple goes towards the back of baby's mouth. But what happens is a lot of people, when the baby goes on, because they can't see what's actually yeah, yeah. happening, what's actually happening is the nipples go into the hard palate, which is squeezing and pinching the nipple. Oh, so they're essentially biting it. They're, they're biting. essentially, yeah. Like the hard mm. bit, of their, you know, their palate is squeezing down and the nipple causing the pain. And the problem with that is as well, is that, that ba- your baby then can't get that full ample supply of the milk from the breast because it oh. won't be able to like, suction it out adequately. Okay. So it's really important that, you know, if you're planning to breastfeed and things, go to the classes. Don't Yeah, you know, they definitely help. In mm. breastfeeding. So mm. if your midwife wants to get rid of you after a few hours at the hospital, make sure that you, if you are breastfeeding, you've established that breastfeeding, you're happy with baby's latch. Because yeah. if you're not, then you say, I need breastfeeding support. And, and so don't. speak up as well when if it's not going well. Yeah. Don't don't come out of the hospital when it's, yeah. Use your voice. All right. One thing, <laughs> one thing, <laughs> one thing that I want to mention that was unexpected. I feel like women should know this. So if you give birth naturally, so they have to do checks. <laughs> yeah. They have to do checks after you've given birth mm-hmm. and to make sure where there might be some tears or whatever is the, um, I'm going to, this is not going to sound very ladylike, but it's the, <laughs> the, <laughs> the finger, the finger, the bottom, up the, up the bottom. Right. <laughs> so after I gave birth, placenta came out, whatever. So I had the baby in my arms and uh, the nurse was like, well, I just need to do some checks. I was like, okay, well, you know, my vagina's just been through World War Three, So <laughs> do what, what you need to do. And she was like, okay, well, I just need to put, to put my finger up your anus just to check. I was like, pardon, <laughs> pardon. And I, I just couldn't like believe almost what she was saying. She was like, up, up the bum hole. And I was like, why? And she's like, because because you're, that part of your body has just been through so much and I need to check. Yeah. 
what's happened in there. And I was like, okay, then, okay, I guess. So, yeah, I just want to mention that. Yeah, so obviously, if you want to know what they're checking for... So basically, like when obviously baby comes down the vagina, sometimes what can happen is your vagina can be intact and your perineum. But what can happen is there can be like a tear in like the anus, like the rectum. Really? And obviously if you've got a tear there, then that's going to weaken, obviously. Uh, As in tear like, like a third degree? It's not It's not what you call a third degree because it depends where it comes from. If it comes from the vagina all the way through to the muscle, mm. near to the anus, then it's a third degree. But if it goes all the way through to the anus, then it's called like a fourth degree tear. Oh, okay. Um, but what you can get is what we call like buttonhole tears. Okay. Where, I know it sounds really strange, but it is like a little buttonhole in the rectum or the vagina. Okay. So if we have something like that, then we have to make sure that we obviously treat it straight away to yeah. reduce any And should those tears happen, it can be fixed easily, right? As Ish. long as you get it early. Yeah, so that's why they yeah, have to so check it straight away. Oh, okay, okay. So it can be fixed, basically. Okay. Okay, I just want to, if those midwives step, <laughs> put their finger up there listening, I'm sorry that I made such a fuss about it. Okay, next question. Are there any tips that actually work for an easier childbirth? So, you know, there's hundreds of them. What What do you think is, do, would you say that there is one that works? I don't know, really. It's a bit of a difficult one. I think to make it easier... Oh. I think being really mobile in labour is really important. Yeah, really I agree important. with that one 100%. Because yeah. I feel like a lot of people, and it's not it's not their fault, I think sometimes they're directed by their midwife or whatnot, or they yeah. think because they're being continuously monitored that they have to lie on the bed. But it's probably the worst position to be in for labour. Mm. Because physically, when you're, when you're lying in the bed, your baby's not really pressed on the cervix that much and your pelvis isn't fully open. I always think like walking, leaning over the bed, bouncing on a ball, all fours, standing is much better for the labour. So that all helps, yeah. yeah. What about things like, what's that primrose oil and the teas and all that stuff? Okay, so let Yeah, so I... I don't know if this happens because I was drinking raspberry tea, but I I've heard that that I heard that that induces labour. So I was getting a bit impatient with my second baby because I didn't want because I was reaching that stage where he was going to be late. Yeah. So two no a month before I was due on my on my due date, I started drinking the tea and taking raspberry leaf tablets yeah is that what I did yeah raspberry leaf tablets yeah so he came two weeks early and I don't know if that helped but and obviously like trying to get your baby to come early out it's not something that I would recommend but I just didn't want him to be late that's all yeah I think it's a bit of um the choice to like for some of these methods yeah. as such because obviously when people tend to take them they tend to take it more towards their due date so it's difficult with the studies to say whether it's actually that that's helped and like bring labour on hmm. or whether your body wasn't just like ready for it 
Um, I think the Raspberry Leaf tea, it's been around for quite a while, hasn't it? Yeah. Even in primrose oil, um, I have heard about people inserting them as pessaries to soften the cervix and things. Mm. Whether that works or not, I'm not entirely sure. Mm. But would you say, I can sense that you're basically just saying the body is going to do what it's going to do. I, I, in my opinion, then I would say that you, when your body's ready, it's ready. Yeah. Um, I know there's some evidence between um, nipple stimulation. Yeah. Because obviously it releases oxytocin and yeah. oxytocin is what in turn like triggers off labour. But obviously if you're going to do anything like that, then don't do it until you're due in your full term. Yeah. Yeah, so we're not we're not saying anything outright here. We're just you know talking about different things that people have tried. I know, like pineapple. People say pineapple, pineapple juice. It's got that, yeah, it's got bromine in. But when I looked at the study, you'd have to have to eat an absolute ton of pineapple mm. to even for it to even make any difference. Prostaglandin. What's that? So prostaglandin is something that's actually in semen. Oh, so sex. So sex can help you know ripen the cervix yeah. a bit so and uh, I mean I feel for you ladies for us ladies because having sex when you're n- over, you over nine months pregnant is literally the last thing you want to do but if it helps or if it'll feel good at the time do it why not yeah, just if you're going to do that though just make sure that your waters haven't gone or anything yeah risk of infection yeah I mean it's it's really, because uh, someone was saying that, because I remember my partner was saying that, oh, this all just sounds like witchcraft. Can you just let your body do what it needs to do? Because the thing is, you also don't want to, f- like, with raspberry leaf, I was thinking, is it, what's too much? Because, you know, is it going to affect, you know, is my baby going to come out raspberry coloured or something? <laughs> okay, so next question. Oh, there was a lot of questions about this, and this was about epidural. So... I've not had epidural myself. So what what stage of labour would you need an epidural? Okay. Again, it's this is like personal preference, really. Hmm. I mean, we get some ladies that in their birth plan, as soon as they have an established labour, which is four centimetres dilated, they want an epidural. There's hmm. some people that... Oh, I didn't know that you could actually request, like, yeah, just have it. Yeah, you can. Yeah. That's, it's a quite... Um, a thing going on at the minute with maternity services and it's all about um you know women having their say in their birth basically okay. so well what I just want to mention that when I had my I didn't I don't even know if I had a birth plan they kind of said to me would you be interested because they when I was pregnant with my first child nine years ago they just opened a birth center in the local hospital and they were trying they were basically pushing that and because there was you know there was no concerns so they said would you be interested in and I, and I, I was just like yes okay mm-hmm. and then I found out later on that that means that you have basically a drug free drug free birth on then when you're well they'll they'll say that it's you're basically going to have like you're not going to have epidural and things like that when you're having a water birth so if you want to change your mind through that labor yeah you could yeah but they were basically saying try and not you know that's make that as your last option basically so yeah and then I just got I mean I'm glad that I didn't have to in the end but yeah I and so okay so you carry on about the epidural stage what 
Yeah, so it's usually from four centimetres in labour because that's what we class as an established labour. Mm-hmm. Anything below four centimetres is classed as a latent phase. So you could just have it to lessen the pain at, yeah, from that stage? from that stage, yeah. So you can just go up. So you usually have to go on the consultant unit for the epidural, okay, because it is, you know, you have to, it's basically a anaesthetist has to put the needle on your back and we have to monitor your baby to make sure the baby's okay yeah. and just med- med- like monitor mum as well, make sure that her blood pressure doesn't drop or anything like that while she's having it. Um, but if you are on, I don't know, midwife led unit and where we don't give the epidural and you're struggling and you're saying to us, I need something more because I'm not coping, then what we will do is we will yeah. transfer. So it's really it. down to you. It's not sort of like a medical intervention where where you're, you know, it's a choice. It, it can, it's, it's, it's a choice. A choice yeah. Okay. I think that's the main thing. Like if, I think a lot, what a lot of women don't realise is that they have these choices. And at the end of the day, if you wanted to go and give birth in your back garden, that's your choice. Yeah. If you wanted to give birth in a tent, that's your choice. And we have to facilitate that. Oh, okay. Okay. Is it weird that I didn't know that? I think a lot of people um, can, you know, I think it's a bit of a difficult one, really. Because a lot of people don't feel don't feel that they have these choices, um, but they do, and it's it's up to their midwife to advocate for them, and the same mm. with like their partners and their family and things. Like my, with the, you know, the ladies that I look after and stuff, like antenatally and things. If they yeah. said to me that they wanted to do this, then obviously we have to explain the risk to them. You know, they have to yeah, know yeah. the risks and what the outcome of them risk could be. But ultimately, if that woman did want to give birth in a tent in the garden then who are we to say actually no you can't at the end it's her body right well of course it's your body so you should <clears throat> I that's so weird I didn't know that I didn't know that you were kind of you had choice because I always feel like it's from because obviously they have your best interest at heart and I guess sometimes you kind of want to you want that you want it, you want you and the baby to be safe so you kind of hand over everything and just because when with me I I let a lot of not not decisions to be made for me but I was kind of like a yes person because I just wanted to be okay and I was so anxious like when when you see your health professional or a midwife or, or your doctor you just you ultimately you ultimately think you know they it's up, they, to them. it's up to them they they know best you know it's up to mm. them but at the same time it's still your body Interesting. So I should have said this at the beginning, but what is an epidural? Um, so epidural, it's a needle that goes into the spine. Okay. So when it goes to the spine, what they're, what they're doing is they're injecting it into what we call the epidural space, which is where it gets its name from, mm. which is where just around like the nerve endings. Yeah. And what it does is it kind of sends a signal to your brain to say, you're not feeling this pain right now. So basically it just mm. blocks that pain signal from coming down. So it's literally just a signal. It's not sort of, yeah. it's not doing anything to your bone, your blood or anything. Yeah, it's just basically sending. I mean, there is, obviously there's a chemical in there to stop that signal. Um, but that's what it's ultimately doing. That's like the layman's term. Oh my God, I did not know that. I thought that it was because I literally thought it was something that was going into you. I don't know, like your bloodstream that was doing something to the pain. So it's literally just a signal up to your yeah, brain. It go, yeah, it goes through. That's why it goes through like the epidural space around the nerve endings. Okay. 
And then, so once that's injected in, do you just go numb? Like, so what they'll usually do is give you like a bolus of the like the fluid that they put through, and that obviously, you know, should kick in. Yeah. And then they usually give you like a little button. That's how it. I mean, it used to be years ago. It would just make you be completely numb from the waist down basically but it's a little bit different now they've come along since then so now you have a little button so when you're starting to feel you know a bit of pain then you'll press the button and it'll send another bolus through into the spine and then it just continues to do that so so you're in labor and you've had that do you still have the urge to push so this is where it gets a little bit more complicated so once usually i mean in, when you're in labour, your midwife will offer to do a vaginal examination every four hours to see your progress of your cervix. So if you have the epidural in and we'd done one, say, and you were 10 centimetres, you probably wouldn't know you were 10 centimetres. Yeah. Okay. So then what we do is we give you like a, an hour where you just relax. Okay? Yeah. You can come off the button. So you have a bit more feeling back, mm. okay? And then once that hour's gone, so it just helps baby's head descend a little bit more with your contractions. Once that hour's gone, then we will ask you, are you ready to start pushing? So then we're going to like second stage then. And it's up, it's down to you to know that feeling of when yeah. you're ready to push. I mean, some, I mean, some women can still feel like a bit of like the bit of the contraction. Yeah. So they will push with that contraction. Sometimes we guide them if they're not feeling it as much. And okay. we'll say, we can see like usually on the epidural, you're, you're on the monitors anyway. So we can see your contractions, we see baby's heart rate. So we'll see that peak when you're having that contraction and we'll say, right, are you ready to push? And then we'll ask the lady to push for us. Oh. And obviously it is like pushing on nothing because you're pushing. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. Re- some people you don't, can't feel it. You can't feel it, yeah. So what some midwives do is, um, which, you know, a a lot of you probably won't be aware unless you've had this before is that the midwife might say do you mind if I put a little pressure on the perineum to guide to guide you to push which is what we call like guide yeah, yeah, yeah. so we'll just press down gently on the perineum so they can just have that sort of feeling and can feel where they need to push okay um, one thing I will say about epidural also is that you have to remember certain they're not always effective on everybody so although so you could have it and it just didn't and doesn't it just work. doesn't really work yeah I mean you know the most of the time they you know when they're effective and they work they're really good but there are times when they're not as effective or you can't you, or it numbs on one side and not the other side so it's just to be aware of that when you do have it there is a possibility that it might not work for you oh my god I feel like I've just had like a science lesson <laughs> Sorry so, <about> that. <laughs> seriously I did I didn't know that I did not know that and of course it is it's a drug isn't it it's essentially a drug so wow okay so this might be a good time to bring up c-sections because you you definitely need an epidural for that don't you and usually they have it um an epidural spinal so it's a little tiny little bit different from the epidural the spinal is it's usually like a full dose. So instead of like you pressing your button and stuff, it's yeah. like a full dose. Um, it just affects the body a little bit differently. I can't really go into technical details because yeah, yeah. unfortunately I'm not an anaesthetist, so I don't yeah, know yeah. the ins and outs fine or what. Okay, so, and then I guess, because the thing is, I always affiliated epidurals with, I just thought 
you just need an epidural if you're going to have a C-section. <laughs> I did not know that you can have an epidural and just push. Yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> oh, okay. I mean, it's too late now. It's thinking yeah, about it, thinking about it, but yeah. <laughs> Should people be concerned about the long-term effects of epidural? What, are, what, what can be the long-term effects? Well, the one, I think the ones that scare everyone is um, nerve damage or if they're paralysed from the waist down. I think they're the ones that scare people the most, but they are extremely, extremely rare. Like, so rare. I mean, the, the, the other side effects are that your blood pressure might plummet. Yeah. Obviously, it can delay the second stage of labour sometimes mm. because of obviously the pushing and you're not being able to feel yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So that it can have an effect on that. But yeah, the, the ones that people worry about are so rare. Just like with anything though, isn't it? I mean, I've had some questions that say that there's some questions about like, should I be worried about dying? With the epidural? Yeah, no, giving birth. Giving birth. Like what are the chances of me dying? I'm not going to lie. I, that was definitely one of my concerns. Like, am I going to die? Let me tell you why. (laughs) Right. There's this, there was this like song that said something. No, it wasn't a song. It was like someone was doing some kind of um, like poem or something, something like your mum is risking her life to give birth to you, something along those lines. And I thought, hold on a minute. Dying is like a chance. There's a chance of dying. And then I remember I was having a conversation with someone and they were like, well, of course, there's going to be a chance of dying. Like, you know that there's like women that die during childbirth. And I was like, oh my God. And I was already like seven months pregnant and I was thinking, no, okay, this is... Well, you know... But can we just talk about how rare it is first, just to relax people? so, so rare to die in childbirth. I think that, you know, the the main thing, like when you go back years ago, one of the main things that people like women in childbirth died from was hemorrhaging. Or infections. Or infection, yeah. yeah. We have the drugs now to, to, you know... To, to nip that, you know, nip that in the book. Yeah. So if you that have, was like the number yeah. one cause. So if you have like a bleed and things, we have like the drugs, you know, we can give syntocin and oxytocin, all these yeah. different things to stop to, you know, reduce that bleeding. We also have theatres on the consultant units. So if we had to get you into theatre, we could get you in straight away. There's there's so many there's so many things now that we can do. Um, like I don't know if you've heard of preeclampsia before. Yeah. Yeah, so preeclampsia, we have drugs now. So so, so preeclampsia is something during that happens during pregnancy as yeah, well, so isn't it? Yeah, preeclampsia is something, it's to do with like placenta efficiency basically um, and it makes your blood pressure rise and go really high hmm. um, and can obviously affect baby and baby's growth and things. And the thing is when your blood pressure goes too high, what you can then have is what we call like a seizure. And that's what we don't want. So that's why we monitor women so closely in pregnancy, checking the blood pressure at every appointment, checking the urine at every appointment. Yeah. Because if that did arise, then we'd have to put a plan in place to mm. obviously stop that from happening. But even if we did have a preeclamped woman, if that was, you know, if she was to have a seizure or whatever in labour, mm. we have all the doctors, we have the midwives, we have the drugs to obviously prevent that. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I can't say that, you know, we can it's completely never ha- yeah. eliminate, yeah. you know, in maternal death, but it's extremely, so you know yeah so I think like if that's if that's a concern for you you need to well hopefully this helped but 
you if you want to be reassured then ask to be reassured because you're not going to enjoy that the pregnancy I think if you've got that worry in your worry in your head because I think like being pregnant is can be a wonderful experience but I think if you if you're focusing on the anxious side of things and like what's what might happen what might not happen like every every single day that you're living your life it takes courage like you don't know if your family are coming home safe tonight you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow so try and enjoy and be in the moment and if you need to be reassured then speak to someone yeah and definitely use your midwife if that's what your midwife's there for they're there to answer answer any questions for you mm. any concerns that you've, you've got or anything mm. um, educate you on all these like issues that you're not sure about and stuff so just speak to your midwife yeah and nothing is going to sound weird to them is it <laughs> absolutely not no <laughs> yeah. I mean they've they've seen it all really okay so it might be a good time to ask about home birth mm-hmm. so if it's possible would you recommend it massive advocate for home birth really really believe in them yeah I just think that kind of wish I did it with my second I'm not gonna lie yeah I just think you're in your own environment you can have it how you want you're used to your home comforts it really brings your stress levels down and your cortisol down you can just relax you're with people that you know that can support you it's much more of a home from home and a nicer experience it's not all clinical and bright lights and things and I just think if you've got a lovely low risk birth I just think you know it's just a perfect place really I was not expecting that answer (laughs) I was not expecting that and I think it's because of like being quite an anxious person. That's why I was definitely, when they recommended it, because with my second pregnancy, they were like, well, listen, your first birth went well. You had a water birth. Nothing was wrong apart from like the infection that I had after. And I had Mm -hmm. to stay in hospital for a, a while after that. But they were like, what about a home birth and I was like absolutely not are you joking and she, and like she was kind of like taken aback by my answer and she was like okay well cross that off <laughs> but looking back and because I gave birth in 2020 so it was during COVID and they just changed the rules about partners being present yeah and she was and she basically said like this might be a perfect opportunity for you to have a home birth because you can have your whole household in the same place and she was like I don't know if the rules are going to change by the time it's ready for you you know I do think if you've had a baby before and it's been uncomplicated and your next birth is low risk go for the home birth for definite and do you it's, this might sound silly, but like what, in bed or in a pool or what? You can. You it's can your go, choice. It's your choice. You can go on the bed. And if we can, I mean, we usually supply inco sheets. We can get them disposable waterproof sheets that you can put on. You can go in the pool. You can do it in your lounge. You can, it's your home. You can do it wherever. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, and I suppose, yeah, you're so right in like, you're in your own setting, but, so, and, and obviously if anything was to go wrong, you would go straight to hospital, wouldn't you? We would, yeah, we would um, blue light you straight to hospital and ambulance. Yeah, so, so it's, we, it's no less risk than... No, we bring all the stuff with us as well. So if you had a bleed, we bring drugs for that. If you, if you know, if, you know, like baby 
was in a bit of an awkward position and things. We're trained to deal with that. If you tear, we have, we're trained to suture and things. Mm. Um, if baby, you know, comes out and they're a little bit shocked and, you know, not really responding very well, then we have all the equipment for that as well. So what we do is we stabilise and then we get you into that hospital. Interesting. Well, I mean, I'm not planning to have any more children, <laughs> but I'll keep that in mind just in case. So, yeah, I, I guess like if you are in a position to, to, yeah, just take that, take all of what Natalie just said into account. Because like hearing about it now, I, de- I definitely feel more relaxed about doing it if I had to. Because I think, I think just the words home birth, like, I think it's scary. Yeah. It's like, I think because it's so organic and like old school, isn't it? It's is quite old school, isn't it? And yeah. I think people worry that you know why are we going back to that when we've come from that yeah. into more clinical yeah, yeah. and hospitals and things. But it just it just works really well if you've got like a low risk, you know, pregnancy. Mm. Your last pregnancy was uncomplicated, mm. and you know you're in your own environment, aren't you? Yeah, you're home from home, so you're. Going and to, to be fair, hospital. like all the all the girls that I know that have had a home birth they were like a hundred percent like I'm so happy I did it Mm. I'm so happy I did it and I don't know maybe it's just me being an anxious person I don't think I wish that I could turn back time and maybe agree to it with my second one okay next question do you see a difference in women giving birth with a partner support rather than without his presence so it would probably make sense for me to tell you that the situation of the woman that I that who sent in this question is a single mom okay and she is worried about doing it alone is she having is she taking anyone with her at all well she's thinking about doing that yeah yeah i think i would probably advise her if she's got someone that she can take like whether it be mm. a parent or a coach she says she's trying to find someone that is not so squeamish okay. <laughs> um i just think because obviously when you're in labor and things you know you're so focused on that that sometimes it's good just to have an extra person there an extra set of, set of eyes to act as your advocate and things yeah and um, I just think you know and I mean when you're in the room I mean you usually have there's a midwife in with you but there's you're only usually paired up with one midwife so it's usually yeah, you, the, yeah. you and the midwife and obviously things depend on what's going on you can get quite busy in the room yeah like, and she can't always tend to you the way you would might want to yeah and I just think that you need that person that you know you can talk to that mm. you know you can give you a little bit of a back rub when like the midwife's busy doing like the other yeah. clinical stuff and things yeah I just think it'll be nice to just have someone there just for extra support like mm. just say even if it's a close friend just Mm. someone there but you don't sort of there isn't like a major difference in some women that you might have seen have gone through it alone to it's just for emotional support isn't it that nothing else yeah it's more for emotional support really and just acting as your advocate Mm. so if they they know they will know you better than what we will yeah so we might do something and you're just in your throes of labour and just might agree to it. Mm. But then that person might say, well, no, she wouldn't want that. Do you know what I mean? And then, you know, it's just being your advocate and things. It's a shame that, like, we can't exchange pain. You know what I mean? Like, oh, why don't you have this pain for a minute whilst I rest? (laughs) There's actually a picture of me 
and my partner went and he's asleep like in the background I mean my contractions weren't that strong I'll give him that (laughs) but when it was time I was like (laughs) throw something at him and just come on it's time it's time but yeah so yeah try and get someone to support you and this might be a good time to, to ask this now do you recommend doulas um, I mean, can, can, can you, would you mind just telling us what a doula is, first of all? So a doula, um, it's a person that's there for your support in your labour. Yeah. Okay. So what they'll do is they they will act as your advocate. So I suppose they're like a supporting partner. Yeah. They can't do, they can't do anything clinical in the room. That is down to like your midwife and your doctors and things. They're not insured to do anything like that. And they don't have to be a qualified midwife to be a doula. But it is just a bit of extra support. So mm. if you haven't got a birth partner, then you could obviously get, get a, a doula. doula. Yeah. Obviously remember that you do have to pay them. <laughs> they don't come free. <laughs> so I think that's the only downside. Yeah. I suppose they've got a- I've heard that there are doulas who specifically focus on hypnobirthing. Mm-hmm. But that's another topic in itself, really. I don't know. I would like to talk to someone who has done hypnobirthing, see if it worked for them. But yeah, I mean, I guess like just do what, what what's best for you, isn't it? And just think. Yeah, definitely. I mean, to be honest, though, I haven't sit. We haven't had many doulas at all. Have you not? No, so mm. it's not really a massive thing. In this country, really, at the mm. minute. It's, it's quite a luxury, some, I think, as well, isn't it? Yeah, I think it, it might be something that's, you know... To pay someone to see you in... in <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just get a family member or a friend, they'll do it for free. Okay, so next one. How important is skin-to-skin contact and will my baby be affected if they have to be in ICU for a while? So the woman that asked this, so there's there's an issue with her baby yeah. and the baby's going to have to be in ICU straight after she's born yeah she it's a girl so straight after she's born the baby has to go into ICU so she's worried about the bonding side of things so I suppose this is more it's not really it's more of a instinctive question so it's not really I mean you know skin to skin contact yes it is you know it is important Mm. we always recommend it in the first hour after birth if possible okay the reason that we recommend it is it just regulates baby's heart rate it does a thing called thermo thermoregulation where it regulates baby's temperature as well and um, any microbes on your skin baby can pick up breathe them in and that just helps with their immune system and it also just um creates that bond with you and baby yeah and it releases like the oxytocin hormone in mm. one, which helps her uterus contract and brings on that love home hormone mm. and she gets to recognize the smell of baby and things so it's, that's all real yeah, isn't it yeah. Is, yeah so that's you know that is lovely but there is times where like your friend that isn't a possibility so you know when that when the baby does go to like the neonatal unit I think what you have to remember is as well is that you are able once that baby's stabilized to have to get skin to skin mm. afterwards okay mm. you're still going to get them same sort of benefits with the skin to skin after you've had baby. So your baby's not missing out on anything. Your baby won't be missing out on anything. Because you're there. Yeah. And just the fact that, sorry, can I just say that, just the fact that she's worried about it just shows that she's going to be a really good mum. Exactly, exactly. And I think a lot of ladies put too much pressure on themselves and things with things like this. And, you know, what you've got to remember is your baby, 
as long as it gets some contact with you, mm. you know, it's going to be happy regardless of whether it's straight after birth. We have to make certain priorities. And if baby has to go to the neonatal unit, then that is the main priority of mm. skin and skin contact. And the thing is, once one she's out, that's you just want her to be good and safe and whatever. So exactly. I think that this might be one of your last concerns once she's out, to be fair. Isn't like it? I say, they can, you can they catch can up. It, yeah, she can do it on the neonatal yeah. unit with baby because they are really good on there. They do allow for lots of skin to skin contact because it just really helps baby as well. Yeah, yeah. And obviously breastfeeding and things. So, I mean, if she's choosing to breastfeed, then that'll be such a big help to baby as well, like building up their immune system and all like, the antibodies and things as well. And it'll help that bond too. Mm. Yeah. Well, and like I said, just the fact that you're worried about it shows that, yeah. you know, it's, you, know you want to be a, a really good mom. So, yeah, try not to worry. Okay. Last question. Top five things to pack in my hospital bag. <laughs> I got this all wrong, by the way, with my, <laughs> with my first one, but go on. So I would say the huge thick pads are a definite <laughs> and a must. So you definitely need thick pads and you definitely... And also, and also can we just mention as well, just for first time mums, like what can you expect bleeding wise? After you've given birth? So when you give birth, you are going to have, it's going to be like a heavy period. You know, it's going to be quite heavy. Mm. So you are going to have to change your pad quite often. And it can last up to six weeks. Yeah. Not everyone does, but it can be on and off up to six mm. weeks. The more active you are, the heavier it's going to be. So don't be surprised if you've been sitting down feeding baby for a few hours and then you get up and then you have a bit of a, a bit of a rush. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. that can be quite normal. Yeah. Okay, so pads. Pads, um, yeah. disposable pants if you've got them or just like, you know, the cheap old pads. Yeah. Make sure they're big. Don't be coming into hospital with no thong and big pads. <laughs> need to be full on That's a mistake I made. I bought one of my, I bought my best pants because I was thinking, oh, maybe I'll try and feel nice after, yeah, after giving birth. Do not bother. Yeah, just okay. The biggest pants you can. So pants, disposable, pads, disposable pants. Second thing. Sugary snacks. Mm. sugary snacks are really good in labour um, and because what we what happens is yes yes it is yeah labor, what happens is um, because your body's working so hard it starts burning your actual fat stores and then you start producing mm. like ketones whereas if you're having sugary snacks and things that's what's going to feed the energy as opposed to going into the fat stores yeah. and making you feel really tired and lethargic so lots of sugary snacks is a yeah. definite oh I remember with my first one I didn't have no sugary, no sugary snacks but the midwife like she gave me like two massive tablespoons of honey oh did she yeah, <laughs> she <laughs> she so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah and I definitely felt like a burst of energy from yeah. that it really really helps especially sometimes when you've been going on for a little while and you, your body goes in a bit of a lull and the contractions yeah, yeah. slow down it just helps your body process so give it give me like one sugary snack that would be like perfect to bring oh so harry bows are really good oh. harry bows lucasade believe it or not is a good drink mm. to take as well like high sugar so something with high sugar yeah like, it's got to be yeah. high sugar yeah like anything healthy there's, it's just pointless okay <laughs> Hmm, okay, sugary snacks. So number three. Um, so then I'm probably going to say toiletries. And the reason being is once you've had your baby and things, you're gonna wanna 
feel more fresh and like yourself again. <laughs> because you're yeah. just you're just going to <laughs> you've yeah. been there. You know what it's like. Definitely. That and can first- I can I just add to that because after I gave birth to my first child, we both had an infection. Okay. After after I gave birth and we had to stay in hospital for seven days for antibiotics and and I had to send my partner home and he was and I had to give him a list of stuff because I wanted to have a shower because I I was there for seven days like you just don't know what's going to happen so absolutely toiletries like just be prepared like mini bottles of stuff bring it with you definitely um and it also makes you feel good to have a shower after giving birth because you know you feel disgusting after yeah yeah after all that that lovely body fluid and things you're getting that shower and it's like Mm. so four four. um so the next thing i'd always say is bring a spare pillow hospitals are stingy and only give you one So bring that extra pillow because you're going to need it. Or your baby feeding feeding pillow. Or your baby feeding pillow. Yeah. <clears throat> Number five. Um. Do, 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 do. So what have we got so far? We've got pads. We've got pants. Can, may, can, I, maybe I can do number five actually. No. Flip flops. Flip flops. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, because I remember. Because they don't provide that in hospital. I mean, come on. I know the NHS are running out of money, but so I was there for a while in the hospital for a while and I only had like my shoes and I'm like, well, I can't get up and keep putting my shoes on after I've just pushed this baby out. So yeah, I would say flip-flops, like disposable flip-flops so you can just get around. And the thing is as well, if you had to stay in hospital, you kind of want to walk around with your baby to like calm the baby down and stuff. Um... And yeah, and also like just another thing whilst I was talking about my hospital stay is I would say if you do, if you are in a situation where you're going to have to stay in hospital for a little while, I ended up staying in hospital for seven days. And I'm telling you now, like, I am so glad that that actually happened because if I would have gone home, especially after your first baby, I would have been so lost and like (laughs) just so emotional because you are surrounded by midwives when you stay in hospital. And I remember, so I wanted to have this conversation with this other midwife I knew, Marie, but unfortunately due to scheduling, but I will talk to her as well at some point. But she was actually, I took her, um, we ended up becoming friends, but she was my midwife. She was my nighttime midwife whilst I was staying. So I saw her for seven nights in a row. Well, no, like four or five nights in a row. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I remember her just coming in and just being so lovely. And she always used to wear glittery eyeshadow. And I remember just like looking at her and thinking, oh God, you're like a ray of sunshine because she was just because the support yeah is 24 7 when you are in hospital I'm not recommending that you should stay in there but I'm saying that if you are in that situation make the most of it and try not to worry too much because then you'd be in the best place you do you like with the breastfeeding and everything as well like you get so much support yes I didn't want to leave Natalie I swear to you I did not (laughs) want to leave because at the end of it I was thinking like oh no I'm gonna go home now I'm trying to be a mother what's gonna happen oh one more thing yeah towel because the NHS big towels are like tea towels so you need a big towel (laughs) oh yeah they are like (laughs) tea towels so big towels yeah 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 and then 
Yeah, and then you just go and have your baby, don't you? Get packed up and have your baby. Don't worry, ladies, you'll be all right. (laughs) Okay, we're going to wrap up now. I just want to ask you one last question. So as a woman, as a mother of three, you've got three beautiful children. What would you say to yourself? What is one thing that you would say to yourself if you could have a conversation with Natalie, who was pregnant with her first baby? Oh, okay. the, know what you've <laughs> gone through now, studied all that you have. I went through. Um, I would say to myself, don't do it. It's not worth it. Or <laughs> 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 <Your> vagina. <laughs> so, um, I don't know. That is such a good question. Mm. You can take your time. I think I would say to myself, make sure that you're educated and look into, you know, what the outcomes of birth can be and the possibilities because mm. mine didn't really go how I planned and how mm. I envisioned it in my head. So I did have quite a tough time yeah. um, trying to process that process that, and get through that. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what, what made me go into... Would you say that you were like anxious in your first... I think I was anxious and it was... It was and to be fair, like there wasn't really any babies in our family at the time. So mm. it's like my first experience with a baby. I didn't really have much knowledge of anything. And mm. um, so I was only, it's quite young really. I was 23, which when I see ladies now that come through and they're 23 years old with their first baby, yeah. I'm like, oh gosh, you're so young. And then yeah. I think, that was me. Yeah, that was you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was just, I think I was very naive then and wasn't fully prepared for what was to come. Mm. So I'd want to... It's on a learning curve, isn't it? And the thing is, like, even things like this, like, podcasts didn't really exist. Not really. It wasn't as popular as it is now. Yeah, it really wasn't. And it, mine was only nine years ago. Yeah. And it, I wouldn't say that was that long ago, really. Like, I mean, I mean, I had forceps. I never knew at the time that you had to have an episiotomy, a cut to have the forceps. I never knew the size of the forceps at the time. Yeah. You know what I, mean? yeah. I think if I'd have been more prepared for that, then it wouldn't have been such a shock to me mm. when it did actually happen. Yeah. So... It was just just things like that, and how long than my labour was. I, I didn't. I thought, you know, a day. Look, can, we, can we all just listen to how <laughs> Natalie's talking? This is someone who's had three children and is a midwife. So don't beat yourself up for not knowing certain things or being scared about certain things. It's so normal. Oh my god, it absolutely is. Yeah, like literally. And there's probably things you know that have that will probably happen in my midwife career that I probably wouldn't have expected or known that that could happen and things because you're constantly learning. It is a massive learning curve. It's just like life, isn't it, I suppose? Mm. It comes with experience. Yeah. Well, thank you, Natalie. If anybody wants to ask any questions that we haven't covered, email me. I will send all of my details will be with the podcast and yeah and in return to answering your questions you just have to name your newborn baby after me or Natalie (laughs) but yeah thank you so much everyone bye if you've made it this far I just want to thank you for your time I hope this episode inspired and entertained you if you wish to connect with me or ask my guest anything send me an email on flakyquestions at gmail.com. That's F-L-A-K-E-Y questions at gmail.com. Stay free, curious and kind. Bye for now.